Well, hey, good morning. Uh, For those of you that don't know me, my name is Jerry, and I'm one of the pastors here at the Carmel Campus. And we're glad that you can join us on a Sunday, whether this is your first time or you're here on a regular basis, because we really do believe that something special happens when we gather as a church family to celebrate who Jesus is. And we're just glad that you can join us today. Uh, Now, my wife, Casey, and I, for the last several weeks, since probably about the beginning of the year, have been going through the decluttering process, getting rid of a bunch of stuff in our house that doesn't spark joy. And so um, if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. We have not thanked our house. I think that is garbage, but we do throw stuff away. And so one of the things we were throwing away was old files, shred. I mean, we have worn our shredder out. But one of the things that came up when we were going through these files was my college transcripts. And I couldn't help. I was like, oh, I want to see that. I want to see it. And I went through semester by semester to see all the classes that I had taken. And there were two things that jumped off the page at me. The first thing was pretty immediate. This is no lie. My grades spiked up the semester I met my wife. Now, which is kind of weird because she's in nursing and I'm in business and neither one of us knows anything about the other. But I think back in the day, I realized she is way out of my league and I got to look as good as possible on paper and in person if she's going to stick with me. And so I started studying a lot harder, apparently. Uh, The other thing I noticed, though, and I bet you've done this too, is I looked at all these classes and I remember taking these classes thinking, this is a waste of time. This is totally useless. I will never use this garbage. I am paying money for all of this stuff I'm never going to need. For instance, like uh, my junior year, there was management information systems. I passed. I had to take it. I was intimidated and I couldn't even tell you what it was about. I, I don't remember much about it other than I'm just gl- I was glad when it was over. Um, and I, I can honestly say I've never referred back to that class and thought, I'm so glad I took that. I use that often, right? Useless to me. Um, one semester I took music and art history at the same time. It was a pretty good semester for me. Um, I enjoyed both of them. I did well in them. But I can honestly tell you, I do not refer to them often, if ever. I've never thought, you know, in art history class, you know what they taught me? I just, I paid money to do it because I needed it, but I, I didn't really use it. And I'm going to guess you've been like that before. You, we all have classes and we could debate on which classes are worthwhile and which aren't. And if you're a middle school or a high school student, I hate to tell you, that's life, okay? That's just what you're going to find yourself saying, I'm never going to use this. But I want to warn you too, and I bet those of you that have graduated, you know this. Did you ever take a class and thought, I'm never going to use this? only to find out that later you use it all the time and you wish you had paid attention. I did, and it was public speaking, no lie. (laughs) I thought there's no way, I told my parents, I used to shake when I would give book reports. I still get pretty nervous, but I used to shake. I remember in the fourth grade shaking, giving a book report. I thought, there's, I'm never gonna use this, maybe once ever, but after that, like on a regular basis, like I'm gonna stand up in front of people. Little did I know, and so I gave little effort and attention to it, and I'm telling you, my speeches were horrible. They were horrible. I do not know how I passed. Now, I know what some of you are thinking, I hate to tell you, they're not that good now. <laughs> if, you, if you think I'm bad now, I was horrible. I mean, it was, it was awful. And I just wished, I wish I would have paid better attention. And the truth is, we all have things in our life like that, right? We wish, I'm never going to need that. Oh, I wish I'd paid better attention. And we do it in school. We do it in life. Um, but you know, I think the reality is we do it when it comes to studying scripture and following Jesus. Because there's a lot of information that we're always taking in and we're trying to figure out, do I need this? Do I not need this? Will I ever use that? And we're always trying to figure out what's good and what's, what's better and, and, and what should we keep. And it's so easy to take things that we learn 
and to place them in a file and put them in a drawer and think, well, I'm never going to use that because it's just obsolete or impractical, right? Like, I'm never going to need that. I don't need to know that. Or maybe there's some things we stick in that file and think, I'm putting that in the file because it's a little creepy, right? Like, I just, I hope God never asks me to recall that because I don't want to live quite like that. So we put it in a file, we slam the drawer. But today, we're going to be talking about something like that that's so easy for us to want to file away. But I'm convinced the thing that we're talking about today is not just something that we need to know. It is something that we need to practice uh, if we are going to live a fruitful life for Jesus at all. And if we don't know this, if we don't learn this, if we don't practice this, I will be completely honest with you. I think we're wasting our time, our effort, our energy, and our resources. And, and I, I really hope that you tune in to this. I've been praying for our church family that we would tune into this because this is something that we all need, not just to know, but to do. Now, last week we kicked off this series called Sent, where we're going through the first few chapters of the book of Acts uh, to learn about the early church. And so if you wanna follow along with us today in the Bibles around the room, we're gonna be uh, on page 758. That's Acts chapter one or two. If you wanna flip there on your phone, feel free to, to get there. But last week we learned that Acts is a history book of the early church. It was written by a first century doctor named Luke. And what we see throughout the book of Acts is that after Jesus had prepared his followers to carry out his mission of making disciples, he sent them into the world to go do the thing that he had equipped them to do to the very ends of the earth. But before he sent them out, there was a few things he wanted them to know and he wanted them to remember. So for starters, he wanted all of us to know, he wanted those first followers to know, you are not on this mission alone. Jesus started this brand new thing called the church. He promised he would do it. And in Acts, we see it take place. And he wanted us to know that in the church, none of us are alone. We are all doing this thing together. And one of the things we talked about last week is the church was never meant to be confined to a building or a time and a place on a Sunday. That is never, ever, ever what the church was meant to be. The church is a movement. And that first movement was a disciple-making movement that was started by Jesus. It was catalyzed by his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection. And, and this message behind the movement was really simple. God had sent his son from heaven. His name is Jesus. He died for the penalty of our sins. And anyone who would put their trust in him would, would be forgiven, restored to God, and have a brand new life. And so they were sent out into the world with that message. And it was that message that fueled the mission. But to be fair to Jesus, to his first followers, they didn't fully grasp what this church thing was all about. I mean, think about it. It was brand new. They had never seen or experienced anything like it before. And so if you're reading in the book of Acts, one of the things you learn is that after Jesus rose from the dead, he spent 40 days in his resurrected body with them. Now, can you imagine what it would be like to have one of your best friends to come to the, to the reality that he's the Messiah and then he died? It'd be awful. But then he comes back from the dead. It'd be really exciting. And he hung out with you for 40 days, for a month and a half. Like, wouldn't you have all kinds of questions that you would wanna ask him? Well, his first followers did too. Listen to these questions that they begin asking in Acts chapter one, verse six. They've been with him for 40 days. They say this, Acts 1, six. They gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, if you're reading the story, you might think that's a weird question to ask. But here's the thing that you need to know. These guys had excellent theology, 
excellent theology because they believed, they knew without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus was the promised Messiah that was written about in the Old Testament. And they knew that once the Messiah was identified, if he went into Jerusalem, it's game over. And he already proved he can't be killed. And so they're like, hey, Jesus, now that you can't die anymore, shouldn't you go down and be the king that everybody's, everybody's waited for? Now listen to what Jesus, listen to how Jesus responds. Verse seven, he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the dates the father has set by his own authority. He doesn't say, guys, that's so off base. He says, eh, it's kind of none of your business, okay? But then he says this, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And basically what Jesus says is, oh boys, bless your hearts. I appreciate that you have my backs this time. Appreciate that, that's good to know. But here's what, you don't need to worry about all that other stuff. I've given you a mission. And your mission is to go into the whole world and tell them about me. But before you go, Jesus said, there's something, or better yet, there's someone that I want you to meet. I want you to know in his name is the Holy Spirit. Now, just in case you're taking notes, I just want you to know how important this is. We can't just skip past this. In fact, 40 days before, this is the same conversation Jesus was having with his disciples. On the night that Jesus was arrested and betrayed, he was having his final meal with his disciples. And he says, look, I'm gonna go, but the Holy Spirit's gonna come and he's gonna give you power. You need to be ready. So imagine that you're one of these guys. You've heard Jesus talking about this on a few different occasions. Wouldn't you have some questions for him? Like I, I would, I jotted, here's some questions I jotted down. Like, okay, that's really cool, Jesus. What, is, what does that mean? That's never happened before. Can you help me understand what that means? Or, hey, you've been talking about this for a while. When's that gonna happen? Or if you were really honest, wouldn't you wanna ask this? Hey, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, that sounds a little creepy, okay? Like, people aren't gonna buy into that. They're gonna actually run away. Are you sure? Are you sure you wanna let people in on that? Because that's just a little creepy. It'd be better to not talk about that. But in spite of whatever questions they had, look at what happens in the very next verse, verse nine. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. Maybe their questions were getting on his nerves. I don't know. Apparently there was no more times for questions because he had a plane to catch. He was out of town. And so there they were. They've been given this mission. He's told them to go and now he's bolted and they just know we're, we're waiting for something. But then the story gets even better. Look at verse 10. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going. Time out. That seems fair. If your friend flies away like Superman, I think staring like this for a while is okay. Because you're thinking, what is, what is going to happen next? But look at what happens next. Suddenly, two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you've seen him go into heaven. So Jesus bolts and then he sends these two angels to come and say, hey boys, come back to us, come back. He's given you a mission. You can't stand here drooling, looking up in the sky. You gotta get going. Now, if you were them, what would you do? What would you do? I'm not really sure what I would do, but thankfully Luke tells us what they did. Look at Acts chapter two, verse one, it says this. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one 
place. Now, there's some important details here that we need to know. First of all, Pentecost is a Jewish festival that takes place 50 days after the Feast of Passover. And if you're familiar with Jesus' story, or just in case you're not, all of the Gospels tell us that Jesus died on the day of Passover. So this is happening exactly 50 days later. Now, we just learned from Acts chapter 1, verse 3, how long was Jesus with the disciples after he was resurrected? 40 days. So if you do the math, there's about a 10-day waiting period. They have seen him float away into heaven. He says, you've got this mission. You're going to get power. Go, but don't go until the thing. And for 10 days, I mean, wouldn't you be thinking, I don't know, I don't know what to do. They were all together in this room. I mean, what would you be doing? I think just for my sanity, I would be talking to everybody in the room. Hey, you saw that, right? And you were there when he did the fish. Okay, I didn't make that up either. Okay, because I know he floated away. I don't really know what's happening right now, but maybe they were sharing stories of his teachings. Or maybe they were praying like, dear Jesus, I don't know where you flew away to, but it would be really awesome if you could come back. And if you taught me how to do that, that'd be cool too. I just want you to come back. Or, or dear Jesus, you told us to wait and to go into Jerusalem, but the same people that killed you in Jerusalem, they want to kill us too. I'm pretty scared. I mean, can you just come and get us out of here? And the reality is we don't really know what they did for that 10-day waiting period. But what we do know is that they were there for several days waiting, and then all of the sudden, on the day of Pentecost, it finally happened. But before we talk about what happened on the day of Pentecost, I just want you to know this, and I want you to hear me. I believe that what we're getting ready to talk about is the most significant event in the New Testament outside of the resurrection of Jesus. It defines who we are as a people, and it defines this mission that he has sent us on. And and I realize that might sound a little scandalous or sacrilegious, but I want you to think about what we're talking about today and what we're supposed to do with it. It's the day of Pentecost. They're gathered together. Jesus has promised power. And look at what happens in verse 2. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Now, this is kind of hard for us to imagine what the sound of a violent wind might sound like, right? I was woke up by the sound of a violent wind this morning. I was pretty sure my house had moved 15 feet to the east, right? I mean, when you hear the sound of a violent wind, does it not cause you to stand up straight and look around and think, like, I hope that this is structurally sound, right? They heard a sound of a great wind. And did you catch what they saw? Tongues of fire resting on one another. I mean, it's, it's hard for us to even imagine what it would have been like in that room But thankfully, Luke goes on and says, look, they heard this, they saw that, but here's what you need to know. Look at verse four. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And the main thing for us to pay attention to is regardless of what they saw and regardless of what they heard, the power that Jesus had promised was now there. The power of the Holy Spirit was resting on them And now they could, for whatever reason, at that moment, they were able to speak and be heard in a variety of other human languages. Now, this is, here's why this is so important. Pentecost was a really big deal. 
And Jews from all over the world would come into Jerusalem for this festival. And Luke says that's exactly what happened. There were Jews in Jerusalem from all over the world, which means they all spoke different languages, which means the first supernatural act of power that the Holy Spirit gave or empowered them with was to be able to be understood. And there's all these people around that spoke different languages. And here's what's crazy. All the people on the outside of the house heard this commotion and they come to this house where these guys had been hiding behind locked doors. And listen to what they say in verse 12. All the people were amazed and they were perplexed and they asked, what does this mean? They're speaking in languages that we can all hear. Now, these are people that might not have known about Jesus. These are people that were likely anti-Jesus and they just knew something big, huge had happened. And it was at this point that Peter, Jesus's very best friend when he walked on the earth, stood up to talk. Now, if you don't know anything about Peter, you would really like Peter because he's the guy that tries really hard, but most of the time does not get it right. I love this guy because every time I read about him, I'm like, yes, that's me. If I were a disciple, I'd be Peter. I would just mess things up. So he gets up to talk and you know all the other disciples are like, oh gosh, somebody grab him. Because when he says stuff, it's never right. But he starts preaching the very first gospel sermon. He's been empowered by the Holy Spirit. And if you get a chance this week, read Acts chapter two, read his sermon. But I'm gonna give you the Cliff Notes version of what he said. Basically, he shows up and he says, look, I've got bad news for all y'all. Every one of you have sinned against God and you deserve death. But I got some good news. God sent his son Jesus to the earth as a man to die and to come back from the dead to prove that he's the son of God. But I've got more bad news. You all killed him and you need to say you're sorry. Now, if you read it, that's basically his message. And you think, well, that would never work. No one would ever respond to a message like that. But if you read down at the end of the sermon, Look at what happens in verses 37 and 38. When the people, when the people who, who had come into town from all over the world that might not have heard about Jesus, when the people who had just 50 days before said, crucify him, crucify him. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the other, other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Some translations say, what must we do to be saved? And Peter replied, pay really close attention to his words here. Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. But he does not stop there. He says, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, I want you to think about this. How long had Peter had the gift of the Holy Spirit? Maybe 15 minutes? Maybe? Do you think Peter understood how the Holy Spirit worked at this point? Did he know that it was okay for him to share that news? All he knew was that it was the Holy Spirit's a gift that you receive when you put your trust in Jesus. And he says, look, I'm not any more special than you. When you put your trust in him, he lives inside of you too. And look at the payoff in verse 41. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And we don't know how many were there, but about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now take a step back. Let's go back in time, 50 days before, crucify him. Boys, I'm gonna leave and I'm gonna give you power from the Holy Spirit. You'll be my witnesses everywhere. He dies, he comes back from the dead. He's with them for 40 days. Boys, I'm getting ready to leave. I'm gonna give you power. Don't go anywhere without this power. And they're in this moment and all of a sudden, 
boom, 3,000 people are committed to this mission. Do you think those guys had a plan for 3,000 people? There's no way. They were just trying to not die that day. Do you think God was in heaven saying, oh man, 3,000 people, that's a little big. Like, I don't know that there's enough of the Holy Spirit to go around. No, he, he, limitless power, right? This, this is an awesome thing. The church was born on that day. But here's what we need to know, and this is what we need to remember. Maybe you need to write this down. Nothing, nothing had happened and nothing would have happened without the power of the Holy Spirit. Zero. There was nothing that was gonna happen. But when he came, he rested on them in power and immediately he began to multiply in the hearts of men as people confessed who Jesus is. And for the last 2,000 years, it's been that same power that has empowered the church to expand all across the globe. And if there's nothing else that we take away from today, and I want you to hear me, if you've heard this story one million times before, I want you to write this down. And if you've never heard this story before, I want you to write this down because I believe it is so important to what Jesus calls us to. And it's real simple. It's just this. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the church. The Holy Spirit is the power behind the church. Our budget isn't the power behind the church. The size of our staff isn't the power behind the church. The, 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 our building isn't the power behind the church. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that fuels the church. And since the church is the family of God, that means that the Holy Spirit is our power as individuals and as a church family as we live on mission for Jesus together. Now that you know that and now that you've written it down, do me a favor, don't put it in a file somewhere. Don't put it in a drawer and tuck it away and say, that creeps me out or that's nice to know. Because this, this is what it's all about, guys. If we try to do anything, if we try to collect food or to collect over $42,000, if we do anything at all without the Holy Spirit's power, guess what? Good for us. We're missing out. We cannot pass this by. And if you're a follower of Jesus, if you've surrendered to him, that power lives inside of me and he lives inside of you and he wants to give us wisdom and he wants to guide us and he wants to lead us and he wants to lead our church family. And here's the thing, the power of the Holy Spirit, he is not meant to be harnessed or controlled so that we only have Christian friends that only listen to Christian music and only eat Chick-fil-A. And Chick-fil-A is really good. <laughs> it is really good. But the, whole, the power of the Holy Spirit isn't so that we live sanitized, safe lives. The purpose of the power of the Holy Spirit is that he lives inside of us as individuals and as a collection of people, and he wants to be unleashed in our homes, in our minds, in our hearts, in our cul-de-sacs, in the cube farm at work, on the factory floor, wherever you go. He wants to be unleashed in and through every single one of us. And so with the time that we have left today, I want to take a moment to look at who the Holy Spirit is and how we need to learn to rely on him. Now, for starters, the Holy Spirit is God. And maybe you're thinking, well, no big deal, right? But one of the greatest mysteries of our faith is that there's one God in heaven. This, this reality is revealed all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. There's one God, but he's made up of three distinct beings. 
And I got to be honest with you, I think when we get to heaven, we're not still going to understand what that means. All we know is that there's one God made of God the Father, God the Son, that's Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. So that means the Father is God, and the Son, Jesus, he's God, and the Holy Spirit is God, but the Spirit's not the Father, and the Father's not the Son, and the Son is not the Spirit. They're distinct, and they're unique, and it's this amazing mystery that is revealed on the pages of Scripture time and time again. For instance, think about this. If you go back to the very beginning of what we have written down in Scripture, Genesis, the first book, Genesis 1.1, it says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And for whatever reason, the writer of Genesis did not say, in the beginning, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit created. I don't know why he didn't say that. But this is fascinating to me. Look at Genesis 1-2. The Spirit of God, capital S, Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. So when the earth was unformed and void, the Spirit of God, God wanted us to know, my Spirit is distinct, and He was active in creation. So think about this. When Jesus promised his first followers the power of the Holy Spirit, this wasn't a new idea or concept. You could argue that Jesus was going back to the oldest and the first concept of who God was in spirit. Now, if you, if you move from the story of creation and you move forward, however long it took for Jesus to be born as a man, what we see on the pages of the New Testament in the Gospels is that Jesus was empowered and led by that same Holy Spirit as a man. In his gospel account, Luke tells us that when Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit came and rested on him. And right after his baptism, look at what he tells us in Luke 4.1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan where he was baptized and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Isn't that interesting? All of a sudden, Jesus is being filled with and led by the power of the Holy Spirit. He went into the wilderness, and guess who was waiting there for him? Satan. Now, how do you think Jesus, as a man, overcame the temptations of Satan? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So if Jesus needed the power of the Spirit, what about us? Sign me up for that, because there's all kinds of temptations out there, right? Look at this, Luke 4.14, as he's coming out of the wilderness, Luke notes again, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Don't forget, he didn't just overcome Satan. Everywhere he went, all the time, he's being led by the Spirit. It's pretty easy to see how that, what that means for us, right? We can't do anything apart from the Holy Spirit. Now, if you fast forward three and a half years to the end of Jesus's ministry, he's at that final meal on that last night with his disciples, and he's just said, guys, I'm getting ready to go away, and they start freaking out. Where are you going? Why can't we go with you? And listen to what he says in John 14. One of his last conversations. If you love me, you'll keep my commands. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Now, interesting. Father, Son, and Spirit, all mentioned in one verse. That concept didn't freak Jesus out. And he said, this is a reality that you need to know. The word another in that verse means one just like the first. So think about it. Jesus is saying, I'm going to ask my father and he's going to send you somebody just, just like me. My first thought is, Jesus, there ain't nobody like you. And he says, just hold on and wait. John 14, 26, a few verses later, Jesus says this, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. Again, father, son, spirit, all in one verse. And then 
few chapters later in John 16, Jesus says this. He drops this little bomb on them. But very truly, I tell you, it's good for you that I'm going away. They were freaking out that he said he was going away. It's good for you I'm going away because unless I go away, the advocate, the counselor, the Holy Spirit will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Think about that. Jesus says, you need him. He's like me. But if I stay here, he can't come. Just let that blow your mind for a moment. But that's not the last place that we see Jesus and the Holy Spirit together. When Luke begins writing the book of Acts, listen to how he starts. And I had read over this a million times before, but when I saw this, I thought, man, Luke, you're, he's a genius. Look at this. In my former book, Theophilus, that's who he was writing the book of Acts to, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. And after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, Jesus was relying on the Holy Spirit the whole time. Luke says, don't forget this. The Holy Spirit was always with him. It's fascinating that he starts his book that way. Luke wants his readers to know Jesus was fully dependent on the Holy Spirit. Jesus wanted his followers to know you can't do anything without the Holy Spirit. And so can we just agree that we don't need to just learn about Acts 2 and file it away in a drawer. This is the thing. If we're gonna have any impact for Jesus in our everyday lives, this is the thing that we need to know and remember and to practice as individuals in a church family. And if you go back to the end of Acts chapter two, what you see is the Holy Spirit doing what only the Holy Spirit can do. He is uniting this movement of people around some really simple things. Look at Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Some really basic things that we hold very near and dear to us here at Genesis. We preach and we teach and we study from the word of God. We celebrate communion on a regular basis. We pray for one another often and we meet together in large groups and in small groups throughout the course of the week because that's what the early church did. That's where the Holy Spirit does his best work. And last week we launched a bunch of new groups. Some of them have filled up, but if you are not part of a group yet, find me or Steve or Danielle. We would love to help you find a group where you can experience that kind of growth. But look at how Luke, Luke, look at what Luke tells us in the rest of Acts chapter two. He says this, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. The Holy Spirit empowered that first community to live in such a radical way that the outside world says, man, nobody cares for each other like this. They didn't just do food drives. They said, what do you need here? Take it, take it of mine. And the gospel began to spread to Jerusalem, to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And it's found its way here to Hamilton County, Indiana. And the Holy Spirit's not done. He is still on the move. And listen to how Luke ends Acts chapter two. He says this, the people were praising God. They were enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those that were being saved. The mission of the church was being lived out. People were coming to know Jesus. The story of the church is the story of a group of people that have always been on mission with the message of the gospel by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you keep reading through the rest of the New Testament, you know what you find? You learn that the Holy Spirit gives us power 
to overcome our weaknesses. He shores us up. He gives us gifts that we didn't even know that we had. I'm, I'm convinced that's one of the reasons that I've overcome a fear of public speaking. It's because I had no desire to do it until I met Jesus. Who knows what your gifts are? He's got gifts that he wants to see you use for his glory. The Holy Spirit gives us power to overflow with hope because this is not our home. Our home is a much better place and we get to take a lot of people with us, but we have to share the message of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit gives us power and confidence to share that message everywhere we go all the time. So I have a really simple question to ask you as we wrap up today. What are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? If you're a follower of Jesus, that same limitless Holy Spirit lives inside of you. And he is waiting for you to obey him. He's waiting for you to make you bold and confident to do things immeasurably greater than you could ask or imagine. But he's just waiting for you to rely on him. And we don't need to be afraid. And I'm afraid a lot. What are you waiting for? Or if you're not yet following Jesus, what are you waiting for? You don't, you're not only forgiven of your sins when you trust in him, he comes in and he gives you his spirit to transform the way that you think and live your life for the glory of God. That's a pretty sweet transaction when you think about it. And I don't know about you, but I wanna be a part of a church family that isn't known for bickering about dress code and music style and paint color and all that garbage. I wanna be a part of a church family that says, we're about Jesus. We wanna live by the power that he provides. Holy Spirit, what do you want us to do next? Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, your word is powerful and your word is true. And I am so thankful that in your divine wisdom, you revealed the Holy Spirit back in Genesis 1-2 to say, my spirit is distinct and different. And Father, we're so thankful that you sent your son Jesus to live on this earth as a man just like us in Jesus. I am so thankful for your humble example to be filled with and led by the Spirit. You understood the power of the Spirit. That's why you say you need his power. You're not telling us to do something you didn't do first. And Holy Spirit, we are so thankful. We are so thankful that you would want to live inside of the mess of everything that we are and that you would wanna make us new and different and that you would want to use us to carry out this mission. Will you help us to take it very seriously? Will you help us to quit playing games? Will you help us to walk by the power and the authority that you've given us for the glory of the name of Jesus, for the mission of sharing the gospel everywhere we go all the time? We need you. Will you please send us out today in every time we hear the wind blow? Would you help us to remember you live inside of us? And you can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. We just have to lean into you. Jesus, we love you. It's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen.